Good morning. Great to be with you all today and to have this opportunity to look at God's Word together. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and pray for us one more time briefly, and then we will dive in. So please join me in a brief word of prayer. Let's pray. As the, as the rain falls from heaven, and waters the earth, and brings forth, forth fruit and growth, so we pray, O oh God, that your word would rain down from heaven and bring forth the fruit of everlasting life. Encourage your people. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Christopher Yuan. Uh, is a uh, Christian with a public profile and a pretty well-known speaking ministry. Uh, Yuan has been speaking and writing on biblical sexuality for about the past two decades. Uh, He holds a doctorate in pastoral ministry and is a professor at Moody Bible College. If you didn't know any better and you met Mr. Yuan or you saw him give a speech, You would assume that Yuan was raised in a Christian home and never knew a time in his life when he didn't follow Jesus. But the reality is, that is not Christopher Yuan's story. Not even close, in fact. Yuan wasn't raised in a Christian home and actually lived, by his own description, a terribly immoral life. He was sexually promiscuous, eventually contracting HIV. He was deeply entrenched in using and selling drugs, so deeply entrenched that he eventually had 12 officers, FBI, DEA agents, bust down his door to arrest him for intent to distribute 9.1 tons of marijuana. That is 18,000 pounds, and he was sentenced to 10 years to life in prison. In the years prior to his his arrest, as his life was spiraling out of control, the Lord used the despair that his parents felt about his life and the circumstances of his life to bring them to faith in Jesus. And Yuan describes how they persistently pursued him, They pursued him in love, even as he was wrecking his life. He talks about how his mom constantly prayed for his salvation, about how once his dad showed up at his home to lovingly plead with his son to turn from sin, which Yuan responded to by angrily kicking his dad out of his house. And as his dad was walking out of the house, he had brought a Bible over for Chris he set the Bible down on the counter in the hopes that perhaps Chris would pick it up and begin reading it at some point. But after his dad left, after he was kicked out, Yuan swiftly picked up the Bible and threw it in the trash can. He had no interest in reading it or changing how he was living. Knowing about Yuan's past, especially considering what his life is like right now, you got to wonder, how is it that a man so deeply entrenched in sin 
and so openly opposed to God and hostile to his word and his ways, is now a professor at a Christian college and spends his life traveling around and speaking about the Bible and about following Jesus. Like, what could possibly bring about that type of change? What has the power to change someone in such deep and profound ways? Well, in our passage this morning, we find the answer to that question. So I want you to go ahead with me and go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to be considering chapter 1, verse 22, through chapter 2, verse 3 today as we continue our study in 1 Peter. But just a brief word about the passage that we're looking at. We're going to break this passage up into multiple studies in the weeks to come. We're going to see some, some things about the Word of God. We're going to see commands to love one another and put off sin. And then we're going, to be, we're going to see commands to long for the pure spiritual milk. We're going to look at some of those commands in the week to come. Today, we're going to be focusing on the power of God's Word to save sinners. As always, I want to encourage you to open to the passage so that you can follow along as I read it. And I want you to keep it open in front of you because we'll be looking at it often in our time together this morning. Just real, again, real quick, just to briefly set the context for our passage today. In the first half of the chapter, in the first 12 verses of chapter 1, Peter has described the glorious salvation that God has worked for us. God chose us before the foundation of the world. He set us apart by his spirit, sprinkled us with the blood of Christ, caused us to be born again, gave us a living hope and an eternal inheritance, is protecting us for that inheritance, guaranteeing that by faith we will receive it. God has worked a glorious salvation. And then Peter turns to tell us how we should respond to that reality. If you look at verse 13, we see that we're to respond to that glorious salvation by setting our hope fully on Jesus. Verse 15, we're to be holy as God is holy. Verse 17, we're to conduct ourselves with fear. We've talked about these things in past weeks. And in our passage this morning, we find that we're to respond to God's glorious salvation, to the fact that God has caused us to be born again by loving one another earnestly. Like I said, we're going to consider that command next week. Today, we're going to consider how God has chosen the word, his word, the gospel, the good news of his salvation to be the powerful means by which he causes people to be born again and built up in the faith. So go ahead and follow along with me as I read 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22, all the way through chapter 2, verse 3. This is God's word. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation 
if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. We're going to focus today on verses 22 to 25 of this passage. And if you're taking notes, the main point I want us to consider is that the word of God is the power of God or salvation. The word of God is the power of God for salvation. That's going to be my one and only point this morning, that we're going to talk about some applications, some, some things that that means for us at the end of our sermon. So, so first, let's take a look here. The word of God is the power of God for salvation. We see this in verses 22 to 25, where Peter describes our salvation in terms of being purified or cleansed, and in terms of being born again and made new creations. And in both cases, we see that our salvation is directly related to our response to God's word. Look at verse 22. Peter begins, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another from a pure heart. The call to love that we'll consider next week is grounded in the fact that these Christians had already been purified in the past. What Peter's doing here is he's using priestly language to describe salvation, right? In the Old Testament, the priests themselves and the people of Israel needed to be purified or cleansed physically to come into God's presence in the temple all of which foreshadowed the day when God's people would be purified on a much deeper level, when God's people would have their souls purified so that we might always have access to God's presence. Now, I want you to notice how it is that our souls are purified. We are purified by our obedience to the truth. Now, that may sound like works based salvation, right? We're saved by our obedience, our works. While it may sound like that, it isn't teaching that. Notice Peter says that we're purified, saved by our obedience to the truth. Throughout the New Testament, the good news of the gospel is described as the truth. That is shorthand for the gospel. 26 different times in the New Testament, the gospel is described as the truth. One of the clearest examples that I can give to you if you want to write it down to look at it later is Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, when Paul says, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, you believed in him and were sealed by the Holy Spirit. The truth is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we obey the good news of the gospel. We obey the truth by believing it, laying hold of it by faith. Think of Romans chapter 16, verses 25 to 27, when Paul says that the gospel was proclaimed to bring about the obedience of faith. Peter is saying, you were, you were purified. Your souls were cleansed, and now you have access to God because you have believed in God's promised Messiah. 
You have laid hold of Jesus Christ by faith. By putting your faith in the good news of the gospel, you have been saved. The word of God is the power of God for salvation. That's not the only place we see it. Peter essentially says the same thing again in a different way. Basically, the same side or a different side of the same coin. If you look with me, he says the same thing in a different way in verses 23 to 25. He tells them, love one another earnestly because they had been born again, saved, not with perishable seed, but with imperishable. Throughout Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, seed is almost always, apart from like the parables where Jesus is talking about farming and sowing seed like that, seed is almost always refers to the seed of a man fertilizing the egg of a woman through which a child is conceived and born. That seed is perishable. It produces fallen, fleeting, and corruptible human life. It does not produce the indestructible and eternal life that God intended us to have. If we're going to experience that eternal life, if we're going to have our corruptible natures made incorruptible, it will have to come through a work outside of us because we are made of perishable seed and we produce perishable seed. We need an imperishable seed to come into our lives and to produce the change that we so desperately need. If our souls are going to be purified from sin, if we are going to be born again unto salvation with imperishable seed, we need to experience God's sovereign power and spirit imparting to us new life. And how does that new life happen? Notice that it is God who causes us to be born again. God who saves us in verse 23. We're born again with imperishable seed through the living and abiding word of God. Friends, this is clear throughout Scripture. From the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, the word of God creates life. Genesis 1 Obviously, God speaks, and it happens. He creates physical life. But then throughout Scripture, continually throughout Scripture, we hear the message of my word brings spiritual life. Go to Ezekiel chapter 37, the, vi the vision of the valley of dry bones. When God takes Ezekiel out into a valley that is very dry, the bones that are there, the skeletons that are there, are also very dry. And God says to Ezekiel, what? Speak to the bones, Ezekiel. Like, what are you saying to me, God? These are dead bones, and you want me to speak? Speak my word. Ezekiel speaks his word over the bones, and what happens to the bones? They start clicking and clacking, and ligaments start growing, and then muscles start growing, and then skin comes on them, and then at the end of Ezekiel speaking God's word to the bones, they are standing up in front of him, a very large army. God's Word brings salvation. God's word brings life. Friends, the word of God is the power of God for salvation. The living and abiding word of God has the power to save any 
and all who believe because that living and abiding word is the revelation of God's plan to save us from our sins through his son, Jesus Christ. Which is why in verse 24, Peter cites this particular passage from Isaiah 40, which Steph read for us already. Look there with me in 1 Peter 1. Peter says, For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory is like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Now, the way that it reads in 1 Peter makes it seem like Peter cites this passage in order only to make his point that God's word is abiding. And it definitely does make that point. God's word remains forever. It is abiding. But I think Peter is actually making a much bigger point than that. I think he's also showing that the word of God is the power of God for salvation because it testifies to the good news of how God has made salvation possible through his son, Jesus. I don't often do this in sermons because trying to make the best use of the time, but I want you to see this for yourselves. I want to ask you to go ahead and turn. If you have a physical Bible or a Bible on your phone, turn to Isaiah chapter 40. We're going to look at this verse in its original context and see how it's related to this broader theme of salvation coming through God's word and God's gospel. We have to remember that when the New Testament authors cite the Old Testament, they often intend the audience that they're, that's listening to recall not just the verse that they're citing, because they didn't have verse numbers in their original Bible. If you have questions about that, I'm happy to talk to you after the sermon about when verse, verse numbers went in. They cited passages from memory, and they weren't like, hey, this is Isaiah 40 verse 1. This is just, I'm, I'm speaking to you from Isaiah, and I'm assuming you're gathering kind of what, what I'm saying to you from everything that's going on in Isaiah. And this citation is a perfect example. The context here is crucial. The first 39 chapters of Isaiah are all about judgment, dominated by promises of coming judgment and of exile for the nation of Israel because of their sins. But then in chapter 40, the message of of Isaiah changes from a promise of judgment and exile to a promise of comfort, good news, and salvation when the Lord in all his glory will appear to save his people. That's where we pick up in chapter 40. Go ahead and look there with me. Look at Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1. You see the promise of comfort from God. Verse 2 looks forward to a day when Israel's iniquity and sins will be pardoned and paid for. When will that happen? Verse 3 It will happen when a voice cries in the wilderness for people to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. What verse 5 describes as the revealing of the glory of the Lord. And God wants his people to be certain that this would happen by saying in verse 5, if you look there with me, Isaiah 40 verse 5, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. My word is sure. This will happen. But but can we really be sure that it will happen, God? Yes, because in verse six, 
the voice cries again. And what does God tell him to cry? He wants us to know that we are fleeting, transient, and temporary. But look at verse 8. The word of our God will stand forever. You hear even in Peter's words, living and abiding. The word stands forever. This is the passage that Peter cites. Peter is citing God's certification of his promise that his people's sins would be pardoned when a voice would cry in the wilderness, telling everyone to get ready for the appearing of the glory of the Lord. But it gets even better if you keep looking at Isaiah. Look at what comes immediately after God's double certification of the certainty of his word. Verse 9, the promise of good news. Go up on a mountain and proclaim the good news. And what is the good news? Verse 10, behold, the Lord God comes with might. Verse 11, this mighty God will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather his lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Friends, Peter's citation of Isaiah 40 is not just to prove the abiding nature of God's word. It is that, but also to prove the certainty of God's promised salvation that God's people would have their sins forgiven and their iniquity pardoned when a voice would appear in the wilderness crying for people to prepare themselves for the revealing of the glory of the Lord who would come with might and tend his flock like a shepherd, all of which has happened. Kids, who does the New Testament say is a voice crying in the wilderness? Abram. John the Baptist came, who came to do what? Do you know? To make straight the way of the Lord, to prepare a way for the Lord to appear. And who appeared immediately after John the Baptist's ministry is described in the New Testament as he is proclaiming in the wilderness the way of the Lord? Who appears right after him? Shout it out. Jesus! The Lord in all of his might, in all of his glory, the arm of the Lord of salvation appeared so God had come to gather his people like a shepherd. The good shepherd had come. The glory of the Lord was revealed. Think about what John says in his gospel. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. The glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And Jesus came to tend his flock like a shepherd. Think about how he described himself. I, I am the good shepherd. And he is the good shepherd because as he says, I lay down my life for the sheep. And I did not just come for the sheep of Israel. I have sheep from other flocks around the world and I'm coming to grab, I'm coming to gather all of them as well to tenderly lead them, to carry them in my bosom, to gently lead those with young, to bring them into my kingdom. I will never break a bruised reed. I will never put out a smoldering wick. I am the good shepherd. Jesus laid down his life so that our souls could be purified, so that we could be made new, born again, Saved from judgment, from the sins that we have committed against God. Friends, we come into this world through perishable seed. We are like grass, bleeding, transient, dying. Think of Moses' words in Psalm 90. 
maybe 70 years, maybe 80, and they are gone like that. And we die because all of us have sinned. All of us have made the same disastrous choice that Adam and Eve made. All of us have rejected God. We've chosen to be our own gods. We've sinned against God, and as a result, we are under his judgment, guilty and condemned before him, without hope unless he makes a way for imperishable seed to give us new life. And because he is a good and righteous judge, he will not overlook our sins. He will not just sweep them under the rug. He will give us all exactly as our sins deserve, which is terrible news for us, friends. But our righteous and good God is also merciful and gracious. He does not desire that anyone should perish under his judgment, and so he sent his son, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, to live the perfect life in our place, to die the death that we deserve for our sins, and to rise again from the dead to prove that God accepted his sacrifice. Friends, look at verse 25 with me at the end. That word is the good news that is being preached to you right now. You can be born again by God's spirit and power if you would turn from sin and put your trust in Jesus Christ. I I hope you feel the, the freedom and waves of relief that come upon hearing that good news. God is not calling you to save yourself. You can't. God is not calling you to fix yourself. You can't. God is not calling you to work your way into his kingdom so that when you get there, you have to look at everything you've done and say, please, look at this and look at this and look at this. We can't. All of us have sinned and fallen short of his holy and perfect standard, but God in his mercy and grace sent his son Jesus Christ, the arm of the Lord, the might of the Lord, the glory of the Lord, the shepherd of the Lord, to gather his people who would turn to him in faith. And that is the good news that has been being preached for 2,000 years, was preached to these Christians who hadn't been Christians, and when they heard about Jesus, they put their faith in him. That same offer is here for you today. Put your faith in Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Whatever nation you're from, Whatever your background is, whatever your socioeconomic status is, believe in the gospel and you will be saved. God has determined to tie his saving purposes in the world to his word. The word of God is the power of God for salvation. Friends, this is why we make such a big deal of making God's word the focal point of our services. Right? We, we want to sing songs each week that are jam-packed with God's word. It's even why we sang songs this morning. If you, think, if you look at your bulletin, and the, the types of songs that we sang, we sang songs this morning that are all related to, in some way or about, God's word. We asked God to speak to us in our first song, sang about the message of grace in the gospel in the second song, and reminded ourselves that through faith in Jesus, we belong to God forever. I am his forever. You can say that by faith, and know that that is true because God's living and abiding word is certain. You are his forever. At the end of the service, we're going to sing about how the good news of the gospel is a firm foundation for our entire lives. It's why we read scripture in the service. We want to hear the whole counsel of God and know that even the simple reading of scripture has the power 
to save those who are lost. Even just the reading of a single verse can save a soul. Don't you think of Charles Spurgeon, famous uh, 19th century pastor who was asked to test the acoustics of a building that he was going to preach in later in the day. This is pre-amplification, no microphones, no speakers. It was a large building, so he had to go up on the stage and project his voice to see if it would fill the room. So he stepped up to the pulpit. This is early in the morning. Building's totally empty. Just the people who kind of ushered him there, like, hey, can you test out these acoustics? Steps up to the pulpit and says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Unbeknownst to him, a maintenance man is working in the building and heard Spurgeon's words. Later in his life, as that man was dying, he was approaching the end of his life. He was visited by Spurgeon's brother, who I think may have been a pastor. And the man said to him, I am a painter by trade. I used to be a very irreligious man. And then one day I went to work inside the Crystal Palace. It was early, and so I assumed the building was empty. And I was startled when I heard a voice <coughs> ring out, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The words came home to me with such power of conviction that they led me to seek and find in Jesus Christ the Savior in whom I believed. I was told later that it was your brother's voice I heard. Please tell him thank you from me. Friends, get this right. It was Spurgeon's voice that he heard, but make no mistake about it. It was God's word that gave him life. God's word is powerful. So powerful that even the reading of a single verse has the power to make us new. This is why we make such a big deal of taking time to preach sermons where we're exposing and unpacking the meaning of God's word, showing its fulfillment in Jesus Christ, and then talking about how it applies to our lives because the spirit of God works through the word of God to make us new. If you are visiting here, maybe if you're a member and you are going to move on from here at some point in your life, especially if we're thinking about teens who may be going off to college at some point, or if you're just visiting, I want to encourage you to find a church that takes seriously the preaching of God's word. Find a church that's going to open the Bible, read it to you plainly, not shy away from any parts of it, and then explain what it means to you. Right? You don't want to be in a church where they're just afraid to preach God's word. That, that's, they're guilty of false advertising if they do this. Not a church if the word of God is not present. The word is the power of the church. Without the word, there is no power in the church. You cannot feed the hungry who need God's word if there's no word in the church. A couple years ago, I was in uh, Nashville for the Southern Baptist annual meeting with my family. It's in the middle of the summer. It was brutally hot. And there's like thousands of people at this convention center. Uh, and so at the same time, everybody gets dismissed to lunch. So like the lines are ridiculous. So we went outside. There were food trucks outside of the building. My boys wanted hot dogs. I wanted a hot dog too. I'm down for hot dogs. I enjoy it. Uh, so we're waiting there in line. And it's a really long line. And it's really hot. And there's no shade. Very sunny. Middle of the day. We wait. We wait. We would finally get there. Thank you, Lord. The hot dog, the boys, they're melting. You know, it's so hot out there. We've already exhausted all the water that we had. I'm like, three hot dogs. Sorry, sir. We're out. Oh my gosh, I've been waiting here this up. We just ran out. 
Like, this is what we came here. You are a hot dog stand. We came for a hot dog. Right? Like, you're looking at a church. You're looking to find a church. They need to have the thing that you are there for. And what you are there for is the word. There are other things that come out of the word. Fellowship, sanctification, walking. all. But it begins with the word. Going to a church that doesn't preach. It's like going to that hot dog stand. Looking for a hot dog. We're out, sir. I'm, I'm going to have to go somewhere else to be fed. I'm going to wrap that one up now. Just, Find a church, right? If you're not a part of our church, find a church that preaches God's word. And because the word of God is the power of God for salvation, the word should also be a focal point of life in our homes. Now, I want to talk specifically to the parents here. I know not everyone here is a parent. I'm going to talk specifically for a minute to the parents. We talked about this in the parenting Sunday school class uh, earlier this spring. We want to raise up kids who become passionate followers of Jesus, right? And the, the primary text of Scripture that was kind of the foundation for that, that class was from Deuteronomy 6, right? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And these words that I command you shall be on your heart, my word, on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Talk with them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and your gates. The focal point of the homes of God's people was to be God's word. In the same way, we want to make God's word the focal point of our homes as we raise our children. We want to talk to them about the word in the morning when we wake. We want to talk to them about the Lord and his word as we go about our days, running errands, picking them up from school, on the way to sports practice, from the youngest to the oldest of children, around the dinner table, at bedtime. We want to help them see how God's word speaks to all of life. And you can do this in so many different ways, right? With the young children, you can use things like storybook Bibles or books about Jesus and the Christian life. Or as the kids get a little bit older, you can read scripture with them and talk about it, reading small sections. Start them, help to connect what scripture says uh, about the world, the world that they're living in, in and their life. And then as they get into the teen years, you can start to go much deeper, right? Help them to really understand and see the deceitfulness of sin and the riches of God's mercy and kindness in Christ. In all of these different ways and at all of these different stages, we're sowing the seed of the word in the prayerful expectation that God will give them new life. My, my, my question for parents here is, how are you doing with that? How are, you, how are you doing with that? You are the primary God-given discipler of your child. So I wonder in what ways are you seeking to sow the seed of God's word in their hearts and minds? How are you in your home balancing things like maybe TV, movies, recreations, or other things with time talking about God's Word? You can even blend those things. I know some of you may not watch TV. I get that. Some of you may watch TV or do other things like that. If you are one of those who watches shows or has stuff on screens, you should be listening and actively listening to what's going on on the screen so that you can help them to see, hey, hey, hey. I just want to help you understand that. One of the things that we do with our kids is whenever ads come on the TV, we say, spot the lie or tell me what they are trying to sell you. And then we talk to them about 
materialism and how we, our hearts desire and crave things and how that leads to, hey, nothing wrong with advertisements. Some are, some are not great, but like, what is this doing to me? You wanna help your kids think about that as you're going about your days. You're listening to music, non-Christian music or Christian music. Talk about the messages that you're hearing. Somebody's words will shape them. God's word or the, words, the world's words. That's a hard phrase to say, but like somebody's words are going to shape them. So as the words from the world are coming in, are you helping to interpret them? Helping them to understand maybe the hidden lies or assumptions that are there and helping them to connect it to God's word, right? Every personality is different in this, but I wanna encourage you within your personality to do everything you can to make the Bible come alive to your children. Whether you share with your kids in the morning when you come down, like, hey, kids, uh, I, I just made breakfast, but I wanna let you know I just read something in God's word that was really encouraging to me. We're talking like 30 seconds. You're wanting to constantly drip in. Whether you watch, maybe you're watching sports, and you want to talk to them about, let me tell you about a crown and a trophy that the Lord's going to give us that's so much greater than the Super Bowl ring or something like that, right? But you should always want to be looking for opportunities to talk about God, his kingdom, his ways in the world, and how we live in this world wisely as his people. Now, if you haven't been doing this, don't panic. Don't spend time condemning yourself. Start today. Talk a little bit about the sermon after the service. In little ways, start dripping in truths about God and the gospel as you go about your days. Maybe start reading a book or a passage of scripture at bed or before dinner, right? Just start building those rhythms and those habits in in little ways and expand in the future. I also wanna snap out real quick now and talk to everyone who's here because some of you may not be parents. I, also, I want you to know uh, if you're here and you don't have any children uh, that you play a role in this as well. Please don't underestimate the incredible role that you can play in the lives of the children of this church. You are another voice coming in alongside of the kids of this church and another voice who's helpfully not their parents, which actually helps sometimes for our kids to hear things from other people, right? And you can often be the means that God uses to bring faith, to disciple, or to encourage the kids of the church, now, I also want to know, I also want to mention to the parents again that there may be some here who have been doing that faithfully for years and you haven't seen faith in your kids. Maybe you even have adult kids who were raised hearing the word, but who haven't believed, still haven't believed, even in their adult years. If that's you, I just want to encourage you keep sowing as you're able and keep praying. Where there's life, there's hope. Also, it may be the case that you never see your child come to faith in your life because you may pass away before they do. The good news for you is that even if you die, the word of God does not die with you. It is living and active and extends beyond the grave. Hope for your child isn't tied to your life, but to the living and active word of God about our Lord Jesus Christ. Charles Bridges was a pastor in the 19th century and on this very topic, he said, the seed may lie under the soil until we do, and then spring up. The seed of God's word may lie under the soil of their hearts until you lie under the soil in a casket, and then spring up. 
There was a man named Luke Short, who's a great example of this. He was a farmer in New England. He made it to age 100, and he still apparently had really good health. Without ever, he never believed in Jesus, even though he was raised in a Christian home. One day, Luke Short was sitting in his fields, reflecting on his long life. He recalled a sermon that he heard as he was a teenager, or when he was a teenager, and he recalled, as he recalled it, the horror of dying under God's curse was impressed on him, and he was converted to Jesus Christ. 85 years after hearing that sermon, he died three years later, and his headstone reads, here lies a babe in grace, aged three years, who died according to nature, aged 106. 85 years later, friends, the seed may lie under the soil until we do and then spring up. Keep sowing the seed. Our calling as parents, as Christians, is to sow the seed, pray in faith, and live out the Christian life in front of the children. And if you don't have children, like I said, don't underestimate the role that you have in other, pe- in other people's kids' lives. Lee and I pray regularly for other adults who love Jesus to speak into our kids' lives, and that can be you. Don't underestimate that role. And there's wonderful freedom in that, right? right? We, have a, we have a role to play, no doubt. We need to disciple our kids as God calls us, but their salvation is not part of our job description. And just as with our children, that brings us remarkable freedom in our evangelism, to sharing the gospel with our neighbors, coworkers, and friends, right? The word of God is the power of God for salvation. Notice what the passage does not say. It doesn't say, you have been born again by the wisdom and power of the person who shared the gospel with you. It doesn't say you have been born again because the person who shared the gospel with you had all the answers or the right technique. It says you have been born again through the living and abiding word of God. Friends, feel the freedom of that and the invigorating, energizing power that comes from it. Our evangelistic efforts don't depend on our wisdom, don't depend on our answers, our fluency, our techniques. We are simply called to sow the seed and let the living and active word of God do the work that God has purposed it to do. Think of how Spurgeon once described the word. The word of God is like a lion. You don't defend a lion. All you do is open the cage and get out of the way. It will defend itself. I wonder how many of you, me included, I'm I'm saying this to myself, have been keeping the lion caged, afraid to let it out because people won't understand it or we'll feel uncomfortable, or we won't have all the answers, or because it's just gonna be, it's gonna be weird between me and this person. Let the lion out. Let him do the work that he's called to do. He will do the work of preparing, convicting, saving, and sanctifying. If we want to see people come to know Jesus as a congregation, we have to tell people about Jesus. And there's so many different ways to do this, right? There isn't a specific formula, or presentation that you have to give, right? As opportunity arises in conversations, look for opportunities to just turn the conversation to Jesus or to your faith or something, something like that. Look for these opportunities. I got to share the gospel yesterday with Abdi Qadir, an Uber driver and Muslim from Somalia. He was super open to talking, very kind, gregarious. We were having good conversation. We were talking about cultural issues. I told him I was a pastor just to see what would happen. And so he asked me, What does the Bible have to say about these cultural issues we're talking about? Abdi Qadir, I'm so glad you asked. Let me tell you about that. And I like verbally vomited all over the car. But like I'm saying, like you just start looking for opportunities to turn conversation. Tell people about, hey, yeah, I was at church this week. The sermon was about this. Just start 
having those, throwing those things out there and seeing how people respond. Some will like shut it down. They don't want anything to do with it. Totally fine. You don't have to press the conversation. Some like, Abdi Kadir, you start talking, you're like, oh yeah, let's have a conversation. The person's open. You keep looking for those opportunities and see what opportunities the Lord gives you to share the gospel, right? But if you think about what this passage is saying, you can also think of things like doing a Bible study with a neighbor or a coworker or a family member. If they've shown some interest in talking about spiritual things, ask if they want to read through one of the gospels with you over lunch. And just, hey, this is low key. Like, any interest in reading the Bible with me? Just let the word work. People will have, they, they will respond and have questions and let the Lord do his work through the word. I hope this text is also a huge encouragement to the campus outreach workers who are beginning their work at the University of Maryland in a few weeks. Y'all have the wonderful freedom of knowing whatever happens on that campus doesn't ultimately depend on you. You do have a job, right? Your job is to labor, pour yourselves out, sharing the gospel, meeting with students, all of that. That's our task in evangelism, but your job is not to save. You have the freedom. Of, I'm just gonna go talk about the Lord. I'm gonna talk about the word. I'm gonna talk about what God has done through Jesus Christ and trust and pray that God is going to do work. He is going to bring a harvest through that word. He will give growth. The word will not return void. Doesn't mean everyone will believe. Of course not. But he has people that he has called and chosen and is preparing to hear the gospel from y'all even now. How exciting and awesome is that? And we need to be praying for the work that they're doing, right? And some of those people that y'all meet on campus and that we meet in life Maybe people you don't expect at all. People like Christopher Yuan. The same Christopher Yuan who kicked his dad out of his house and threw the Bible that he gave him into the trash, later recounted how on one particular day, while he was in prison, he passed a trash can and he looked down into it. And what did he see there? on the top of the heap of trash in that trash can was a Bible. Y'all tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor. You threw my word into the trash, all good. I'm gonna meet you right there again later. And when that, when that time comes, I've prepared you for it. You're gonna be ready for the word. Took the Bible out of the trash, started reading. Wasn't like the lights came on, wasn't dramatic, wasn't, wasn't any of that. The seed went in. The spirit watered, and over time, Christopher Yuan was saved. You might be here, and maybe one of those people like him, who threw a Bible in the trash, who rejected God's word, who rejected God, and now you're not even close to me, like, I, he won't welcome me back. Yes, he will. He will run to you and bring you into his family. He will let you throw the Bible in the trash, and he will meet you in the trash, and he will bring you out of the trash, and he will purify you and save you, and make you new. The word of God is the power of God for salvation. And this word is the good news that has just been preached to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray for your sovereign power to give the growth, to save those who are lost, and to sanctify your people. Help us to labor in the week to come 
to share the gospel with others, whether it's family, friends, kids, neighbors, coworkers, and we pray that as we do that, you would be pleased to give the growth. And we pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.